Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Boleyn, and I'm delighted to be with you. I'm honored to be with you. Bless your hearts for setting aside this time for worship with us and for considering God's Word. Good to be with you. I had asked the team, this is a little bit different, the setting, I'd asked the team if I could uh, sit at a table and uh, like have a conversation with you, because I know we're coming to you in your uh, living rooms and your family rooms and maybe a camper and maybe a lake place, and I just wanted to have this pastoral chat with you. I, I guess they've, <laughs> they've kind of left it up to me because obviously some of you don't know this. This connection is not unlike a Zoom connection. And when you tune into the service and you're looking at me, just as you click on, we see every single one of you. And I could comment on what you're wearing. Holy mackerel. But what surprises me even more is what you're eating. And, and at this time of the day, my goodness, looks like you haven't been out for a while. Dads before you run out of the room to get another piece of cold pizza and, and put a nice shirt on, or any shirt for that matter, I just I want to say Happy Father's Day. It's our day, dads, okay? Aren't you glad it's here? And uh, doesn't it seem appropriate to you? Think about this. It's the longest day of the year. It is Father's Day. And so I hope for you dads that it's a wonderful day and that maybe you uh, can play with the kids, maybe watch a little golf, some time with the paper, go for a walk, take a nap, have a wonderful meal. <laughs> and the women are saying, that's what he does every single day. Now, don't talk like that about the dads, okay? I loved our little video that we had at the top of the hour. Obviously, you dads are busy being dads, teaching kids how to ride a bike and shoot baskets and play hockey and and be kind and generous and to love Jesus. Way to go, dads. And I would say to you, as I always say to you, remember, dads, uh, to this day, probably all your life, there are still eyes upon you, and you are an example and a person of influence uh, by what you say and by, and by how you behave. It's just true. Let me give you an example. Let me show you a picture of me. This is a couple weeks ago. 14 weeks without a haircut, I went. I went. Isn't that something? That's Doc in Back to the Future. If they run the fifth sequel, I'll, I'll get the part, okay? Am I a person of influence? I clearly am, because look at how it impacted my son and my two grandsons. Isn't that an adorable picture? So I not only passed on my influence to my son and my grandson, but I passed on my good looks. Thank you very much. Dads, here's my final word of encouragement. Um, Think about this. Say the words, Dad. Say the words. I admire you. I, I appreciate you. I'm amazed by you. I love you. Say those words, Dad, because your words have power and they have impact and they shape character. Happy Father's Day, guys. I suspect that most of you are like me and you're a little tired of talking about the coronavirus. We all are, but did you realize, I suspect you must by now, that there's a lighter side to this as well? Did you know that Finland has closed its borders and so no one will be crossing the finish line? <laughs> Thank you very much. Do you, have you heard that the World Health Organization indicates that dogs no longer need to be quarantined. That was in an article, and the title of the article was, Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> yes, indeed, and the only uh, trouble with me telling you a, a virus joke is that I have to wait two weeks to see if you got it. <laughs> yeah, well, I see several families going like this. Move on, buddy, move on, and, and I will. Uh, I think we are tired of uh, talking about uh, COVID-19, 
But I would say this, just a, a word of encouragement and counsel. I, I hope that our fatigue does not cause us to move too fast, folks. And I would pray and ask and hope that we would be uh, found among those who are wise and cautious and we listen to our leaders and we're, we're careful. Um, I imagine that I could say uh, a lot more about the virus were it not for the events in South Minneapolis on uh, Memorial Day. The violent and um, the cruel death of George Floyd has sent like shock waves, uh, obviously across our cities, but across our nation and even globally. Uh, none of us has ever seen anything quite like this, not living here in the Twin Cities. So many people uh, are hurting. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, if one part of the body suffers, if one part of the body is hurting, we all suffer. Every part is hurting, and that's the case. I know that I have felt feelings, and I've been living with them that I haven't felt before, deep feelings and, and somewhat troubling feelings, and perhaps that, that speaks to a number of you as well. I would bring this thought to you right away. This is very much at the heart of our Christian faith. Uh, the theology is called the incarnation. Jesus, the Son of God, came to us in the flesh, incarnate. That's the incarnation. And what we understand, what we see is that Jesus, as he came to us, didn't somehow stand apart from or uh, remain over suffering and pain and sorrow he entered into it and he lived there and he walked with us through it jesus wept tears of sorrow when lazarus died he was he was also sorrowful, sorrowful at the the hard-heartedness of the people in jerusalem and he was he was angry very angry at the injustice that he saw in the temple and, and with some of the religious leaders so what i'm saying is that for, as followers of Jesus Christ, it is fitting, it is appropriate, it is right for us to have these feelings and to own them and, and to wrestle with them. But I want to say this, uh, as we gather together today, um, we don't stand on confusion or on doubt. We just don't. We as people of God stand on God's word and on God's promises. And that's where I want to take us today. And I have been praying uh, quite a bit that I would speak to you, could speak to you today, a word of um, conviction and a word of hope. I want to start by, by speaking to you as uh, a pastor. That shouldn't surprise you, a pastor and as a teacher. So I would ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, and there's three verses there, 10, 11, 12, that I want to bring before you. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and following reads this way. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, hear this now, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
This is God's word for us. Out of all, you might be wondering, out of all the Bible passages that I could have read, is, is this the best one to bring to you? And I would say to you, yes, I believe it is, because I believe that it speaks to the root of the issue that we want to talk about. Not just describing the symptoms, but I want to talk about the disease. I realize full well, folks, I, I, I have been thinking about this. I realize full well that when I read a passage about the powers of darkness and about Satan and so forth, I risk losing maybe about a third of you, even those who believe in God and, and are, are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. There are so many of you who don't believe in forces of evil or the devil or any kind of Satan. What has happened is uh, our culture has taught us otherwise. And we in our modern Western, sophisticated, enlightened, with that mindset, we feel like we've moved beyond that. Other cultures in the world, I would say to you, don't have that same issue. In Africa or Latin America or many parts of Asia, they understand evil, forces of evil and the demonic, but not so much here. And why is that? Well, I think our culture has taught us that wants us to believe that everything has a natural cause, which we can fix, by the way. And so when we see things that aren't right or are amiss or we, where we see things that aren't functioning right, well, we can fix that with our psychology and with our sociology and with our government and with our education and with just maybe a few more meds. Bad behavior, what is that about? Well, bad behavior is the result, many would say, of bad parenting or economic stress, or abuse, or poor education, or low self-esteem, or low accountability. And, and some would say, by the way, all we need is just a little bit more law and order. That's what will help us. That's what will fix things and get us back on track. But I say this from my heart, and I say it tenderly and somewhat cautiously. I believe, folks, that we are finding that the cupboards are bare on Wall Street and in Washington, D.C., and I believe that more laws and spending more money, even trillions of dollars, will not begin to heal our land. It just won't. That's where we are right now. It's where we've been. And it isn't working. Look at me, folks. Listen to me. Again, from my heart, I'm not being political, nor am I castigating our leaders our elected leaders are doing what we have asked them to do, and that is to pass more laws and legislation and so forth. I just believe it's not going to bring us the peace and the healing that we want. Tim Keller has quoted from a book called The Death of Satan. L listen to this quote. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil, what we're seeing and experiencing, the visibility of evil, and the intellectual resources to cope with it. What's he saying? What we see, what we're experiencing, what disturbs us, this, that which is evil, we don't have the means, we don't have the language anymore to understand it or to comprehend it, all the brokenness that's around us. So I would say, folks, as a pastor, your pastor, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
I believe that the Bible is God's word, and both Jesus and the Bible talk extensively about Satan and the forces of evil. He is the prince, he's described as the prince of darkness, the father of sins who has, hear me now, and this is what Paul is writing about, he has an arsenal of schemes to deceive us, lead us astray, cause us to question moral laws and absolute truths. And friends, the reality is, and this is what we're seeing and experiencing, is his lies, this deception it permeates everything, everything. Our minds, our mouths, our attitudes, our relationships, our schools, our law enforcement, our government, and our churches. And this is why we are so divided right now and why we are so afraid and so angry and I am imploring and speaking out that we must realize more guns, more laws will not and cannot bring the peace that we are desperate for. Let me just stay here a couple more moments and then I'll move on. Let me describe for you two tactics of the devil. The devil tempts us. <laughs> He's not a man in a little red suit that we can see him coming and we can laugh at him. Uh, he's good at what he does. And he tempts us. How? Through what we read, through conversations that we have, things we hear, the people we hang out with. And one of the primary ways that he tempts us is he tempts us to think that we're better than others. You reflect more closely the image of God. You are educated. You have worked hard. You deserve this. And when we buy in to that lie, that deception that we're better than others, then we behave in a way that just shreds community. Hear me now. If he can't tempt us, then he accuses us. This is, these are names for Satan in the Bible. The, the tempter and the accuser. If he can't tempt us, then he will accuse us. What does he accuse us of? He accuses us of being less than we are in the kingdom of God. And when we buy into that lie, you're not good enough. You never have been. You'll never amount to anything. You should know that. You know that. You feel that. When we buy into that lie, to that accusation, then we do things that hurt ourselves and hurt others. Now I need to move on. But I would say this, my dear friends, some of you wrestle with believing in God. Some of my friends do. I love you. Some of you uh, are wrestling with believing in the devil or that exists, but I would tell you this, folks. In that video, when we saw the knee on George Floyd's neck forcing the breath of life out of him, we saw evil in the light of day. <laughs> and it's, it, it sickened us. It, it horrified us. It frightened us. Evil loves the darkness. 
But there we saw it in the light. Will Smith, the actor, is quoted as saying, you know, racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. And so what at times past has been in the darkness is now in the light. We saw it. And we need to understand that this is the root of the issue. Class, when you pull up a weed and you don't get the root, what happens? We all know this. It comes back and it comes back and it comes back. And that's what we're seeing. What do we need to do? What do we do? Well, let's continue in God's word. Uh, I have spoken to you as a pastor. Now I want to speak to you a little bit more personally, and I would bring you to Psalm 139. It's a magnificent psalm, the, the whole psalm. It's about the tenderness of creation and how God has wired us up and created us. But here's what David writes, Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I was going to say, what do we need to do? Uh, you know, you've, you've seen me do this sometimes, I suppose. I was going to kind of pound the table and say, each one of us needs to have a ruthless self-evaluation. <laughs> I don't know. Why do I think like that? Or why do I even talk like that sometimes? You know, kind of tough guy talk. This is what you need to do. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror. Okay. I set that aside, and I, and I like the way David said it much better. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says David was a man after God's own heart. David is one of the giants in Scripture, certainly in the history of Israel. But what he's saying here is, Lord, you've got to help me. I want to be pure. I want to be honest. I want to be holy before you. You, Lord, search me. Show me what's in my heart. Reveal it to me, Lord, so that I can see it. Root it out. Be the person that you want me to be, Lord. Reveal it to me. In the last passage in Ephesians, I, I, you know, Paul used that word, we struggle with these powers of darkness. He used that word very intentionally because the Greek word to struggle means about the same thing as wrestling. Some of you know I was a wrestler, and, and so it, it's not this cosmic warfare. This gets personal, wrestling one-on-one, -on -one. and we do wrestle with these forces of evil. So each one of us needs to think about who we are. We need to do this self-examination. What's inside of us? I was discussing my, you know, this message with Nancy the other night at, at the dinner table, and I don't often do that, but she asked me, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, I heard, um, I heard one protester say this, and she was angry. And she said, you people need to hear this. You are either a racist or you are anti-racist. There's no middle ground where a lot of you think you're standing. You're either a racist or you're working against racism. And I thought, well, I wonder if there isn't an element of truth in that. And I said to Nancy, I, I, I think I might say that. Kind of a provocative, again, in-your-face statement. And then Nancy and I had a discussion. Actually, she talked and I listened. And with a fair amount of passion, she talked to me about her growing up and her circle of friends and about her life as a professional nurse serving 40 years in a, in a county hospital and how she served and touched lives there. And then she mentioned an encounter she had with a shake-fisting, a fist-shaking gentleman in traffic the other day. And she said, I don't know if you want to say a statement like that. That's so black and white. You're either this or you're either that. And I think she was right. 
Maybe I should uh, run all of my messages past Nancy. They might be a little shorter and a little bit kinder. But I would say this. This is one thought that I didn't run past her, so it's still in here. I, I like this thought. Hear me, folks. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. <laughs> what do I say? Let that thought lean against your mind. And would you please write it down? We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. What do I mean by that? If I'm an anxious person, if, I, if I'm a worrier, I will tend to see a number of things that feel like a, a threat to me. I see things as I am. If I'm a passive person, I will tend to see a number of things which I'm just not too concerned about. That doesn't bother me and that doesn't concern me. That's not my issue. If I'm uh, a nosy person, I, I will see that your business is my business and I'll get my nose in there. This is what I'm saying. If I'm too busy, and who's that now? I think it's all of us. If I'm too busy, then I may see a lot of things that I just don't have you know, issues and injustices and concerns that I just don't have time to deal with. The issue is, isn't it, that in this virus season, this COVID season, that excuse has been removed for a lot of us. Yes, we were busy, but in these past weeks, not for everybody, but for many of us, we have had the time, I do have the time, to see injustice and, and to consider what my part might have been in that, active, passive, any other way, this self-examination. I think I've told you before that one of the blessings in my life was also one of the most painful times in my life. Many years ago when I was in graduate school, my uh, supervisor confronted me one day in front of the whole group. It was a smaller breakout group, but still about 12, 15 of us there, and I had presented a paper. There was discussion, conversation. Then Ed, my supervisor, said to me, Bill, you're a nice guy. And I, <laughs> I thought Ed was very discerning. I said, Ed, thank you very much. He said, Bill, you're just a nice guy. I said, Ed, I appreciate your saying that. I, I try to be a nice guy. And he said, well, what I'm saying, Bill, is that you are just simply a nice guy. And the third time somebody says something, you know, little beads of sweat in front of the group, you know, developed. What is he telling me? Long story short, what he was talking to me about, and then the group chimed in, is that I can tend to be a very passive person, kind of a get-along, go-along guy who wants to be liked by everybody. Passive. They used the word passivity. I didn't even know if that was a word. But like I said, that was powerful in my life. Painful, but powerful. And I have carried that forward with me throughout my ministry. Perhaps that is not the best posture, this one of passivity, when I'm ministering to the body of Christ. Just an example, folks, that I'm giving you. Do you, have you prayed what, what David prayed? Lord, examine my heart. It's good prayer. Do you have a spouse or a loved one who will say, do you want to say that or this is how I receive that? Do you have a small group? Have you ever been in a group that would say, you know, this is how I experienced you. They say it with love. might be a little painful, but there's self-awareness. I need to ask, has my passivity been any part of the problem? What do you need to ask yourself? I heard two um, African-American pastors speak recently, just in the past couple of weeks. 
both tremendous speakers, both speaking with passion. The first one, I, I don't have his name, but he said, I, you know what, I have to tell you folks, he's preaching, and he, and he said, I have to tell you folks, I'm tired of uh, evangelical passivity. And for crying out loud, I thought he was going to say, you know, Bill Boleyn, call me out. I'm tired, he said, of evangelical passivity. What I'm ready for is a little more redemptive impatience. Hear that. Feel that. Passivity? No. A little redemptive impatience, this stirring that something needs to be done. I heard another uh, African-American pastor, and, and he was uh, in a kind of a panel discussion, and he said, I want to say this to all of you white people. I want to say it to the black people in my conversation, too. A lot of you white people tell me you're feeling guilty. There's this general feeling of guilt. He said, I get that. We, in the black community, don't necessarily want you to feel guilty. We don't want you to feel guilty. But I want you to be aware. I want you to be aware that when I go into the store and there's four or five other people there, they're going to pay particular attention to me and draw closer to me. I want you to be aware that when I get on an elevator and there's a white woman there, I watch her, I feel her move away from me and clutch her purse a little bit more tightly. I want you to be aware that if I go five miles an hour over the speed limit, I'm five times as likely to be pulled over as you are. I want you to be aware. Stop your feeling guilty, but just be aware of what wine life is, a, is about. So what I'm talking about right now, personally, I hope, this is self-examination, a little heightened, candid self-awareness of who I am and how I might be a part of what's going on and then this greater awareness of what's going on out there, what life is like in the black culture and the African-American community. What do we do with this heightened awareness and this greater awareness? What do we do with it? Well, <laughs> you know, here again, I, I uh, thought I'd take off on Micah 6.8, and I could. What do you do? You do justice, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. And again, you know, it's in the Bible. Just noodle on that, Fred. You and your small group, just lean in on that. Let those words speak to you. And you can. Or go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, and, and Paul says, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling and healing. That's ours to do. That's a good passage as well. But I would tell you, we had a conversation like this uh, in my men's group a couple of weeks ago, and, it, and it, boy, these guys were candid, open, talking a lot about what we're talking about. And then as we were drawing to a close, I said, you know what? It, it felt heavy. It felt a little bit down. I said, man, I want to... I end this on a note of hope and because we need to be hopeful people it's not an optimistic hour but it can be a, a hope filled hour and so we ended it that way and I want to just start to close my time with you with this prayer it's from Romans 15 verse 13 may the God of hope fill you may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a great prayer. It's a great blessing for you today as I speak to you. I like what John Ortberg says as he is speaking about this. He says, hear me now. Just as we live in a physical ecosystem, we also live in a spiritual ecosystem. What's he saying? In this physical ecosystem... We can infect each other with a sneeze, with a plague, with illness, with virus. Hello, COVID-19. Yes, indeed, we're living that. Understand, think about it, pray about it. In 
a spiritual ecosystem. In the same way, folks, we can infect each other with joy and with peace and with courage and with hope. Hello, church. Hello, body of Christ. Another comment that Ortberg made was he said, networks tend to magnify what they are seated with. Hear it. Networks tend to magnify what they are seated with. Well, my dear friends, the church is seated with the redemptive love of Christ, the peace that passes all understanding and the overflowing, everlasting hope given to us by the Holy Spirit. These are the things that we can magnify and multiply and we can infect the world with them. We certainly can. How? I'm, I'm hesitant sometimes to give a list. I would rather just encourage you to be a listener. The Lord speaks to you. He does listen to him. But let me ask you, when someone gives you, you know, just calls you up, talk to you, to check in with you. Doesn't that touch your heart? And don't you have the thought, I can do that? And you do it. You call a couple other people, I can do that. You see someone serving food or, or passing out meals, and you think, oh, look at them. And then you think, I can do that. I can do that. You see someone reading to inner city children, and I hope that you might have the same thought. I can do that. Someone forgives you. Someone blesses you. Someone prays with you. I can do that. I can do that. You taste the love of Jesus Christ who took the penalty of your sin to the cross and has given you his righteousness. And you know he wants you to take his redemptive, life-giving culture, transforming out into a broken, hurting world. It's transforming love. And I hope the thought is stirring within you right now, my dear friend. I can do that. I can do that. I think I told you that um, several years ago, I, I was serving on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. A number of our board meetings were in Washington, D.C., where their home office is. Great privilege to meet there. We would always fly in be the day before board meeting. It was called uh, the, the Washington Briefing. And we would meet with senators and, and representatives and, and leaders. It was magnificent. One day we were sitting on the floor. Not all tours get to go there. We were sitting on the floor of the House of Representatives. And I... I'm sorry I don't remember his name. He was a representative from the state of Ohio, I believe. Brilliant man, bright, passionate, knowledgeable man of faith, welcoming us, telling us about the room. Came time for questions. We said, when did Washington become like this, so divided and so contentious? And he spoke to that. But then as he closed his comments, he said, and I've told you this before, he said, but you have to remember we have been elected to come here to pass legislation and to write laws. But you are the ones who have been called to change people's hearts. He was speaking to a room full of pastors and bishops and college presidents. You are the ones that have been called to change people's hearts. And that's what matters more than anything. And folks, just like now... 
the hair on my arms stood up because I realized he was right. You've heard me say this before, folks. We are the people that we've been waiting for. It does, it's not going to happen out there. Let's stop looking out there. It's we in, in Jesus' church, the Lord's church. We're the people that we've been waiting for. The God of all grace and all glory has given us his son. He's given us his word. He's given us his promises. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he's invited us into the matchless movement of healing and hope for the world. It starts with us. Thanks be to God for his gifts of grace and mercy and peace and hope and joy in Jesus Christ. Amen, folks. Amen. I do want to pray with you, and I will, uh, but I don't want to move on too quickly. I, I like asking that question right now. Quiet moments, I would ask each one of you, what is the Lord saying to you? What's the Lord saying to you? I don't know, if, did you hear anything today that made the hair on your arms raise up or, or that stirred a little bit of that redemptive impatience? I, I'm going to act now. I'm going to respond. That's the conviction. And we do have the hope that the world needs. What's the Lord saying to you right now? Let me pray with you. Lord, we thank you um, that as we gather like this, not in the church building, but we gather as your church, Lord. Your word speaks to us. Your word is holy and powerful. Your spirit stirs us, bringing things, not just thoughts to our minds, but the stirring in our hearts, Lord, that conviction that we're hearing truth, eternal truth that matters, Lord. We continue to pray humbly, from our hearts, Lord, we continue to pray for healing for our land. There's brokenness, pain, and sorrow. You know it all, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Knit our hearts back together again. Give us patience. Give us forgiveness. Give us a desire to listen one to another and to hear. Heal our land, Lord. I pray that your church might be the light that you've intended it to be, Lord. Shining like a beacon, pushing back all of the darkness. I ask that about this church, all who are listening. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your gifts to us, your grace, your mercy, your son, Jesus Christ. In his name, we have met. In his name, we pray. Amen. Amen.